0: are so grateful for the Word of God. We thank you that you have left us. We, we certainly have sung of the living Word this morning. We we've, we've mentioned Him and praised Him and glorified Him for what He has done so we could actually be here with pure hearts, standing right before you because of His finished work. But we do thank you for the written Word of God, our Bibles. We can turn to it, and it is... And in it contains everything we need for life, salvation, for godliness, daily stuff, Lord. We thank you for leaving us such a perfect manuscript. And Lord, may we be those who actively read it and study it. We do thank you for the gathering of the flock today. We pray for those who are ill or traveling. Lord, there are some dealing with sensitive family situations and there's difficulties going on. Lord, I pray you would just give them mercy and grace. May they be men and women of the word as they care for others, as they even suffer. It. And some of them are suffering, Lord. And so we pray that you would cause them to love you more, Lord. Return them back to us soon. We're grateful for our time together, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, about, I think, somewhere around 17 years ago, a young man came to salvation, uh, which is wonderful. Uh, but this just wasn't any young man. His his, uh, father worked for one of the most prominent prosperity gospel preachers that you know. The name of this young man was Kosti Hen. Of course, his father was Benny Hen, or I mean, his his uncle was Benny Hen. His father was one of the right hand men who worked in the ministry. He was born and raised in this very, very influential prosperity gospel. I would encourage you to go read his testimony. He is now a pastor Redeemer Church out west. Um, he's grown tremendously. The effects of uh, theology and the doctrines of grace and the truth of God's word have greatly grown him. But his testimony is astounding when you read it. He was raised in the most uh, wealthiest settings you could, you could imagine. He will talk about the cars that they drove and the money they had and the houses and and just incredible wealth beyond what most people will ever see. He was studying his Bible, preparing to teach a Bible lesson at one point. And he was in John chapter 5, always preaching on miracles, always preaching on healing. That's what they were trained to do. And they came to the man who couldn't get up to get into the pool in order to be healed when the Spirit of God moved across it. And it was that time where God met him. And he began to realize, as in his testimony shares so clearly, that this man had no faith. All he was trying to do was get into a pool. He was, there was no salvation through his faith that he could faith his way to God he didn't believe in anything. The Bible says, he, you know, it doesn't say that he was a devout follower of Yahweh of any way. He was just a man wanting to get into a pool and get healed. At that point, Costi says, God brought me to true repentance. I'd put, he said, I'd put my faith in man's ability to faith their way to God. And he began to reject all that he knew. And he began to study a sovereign God that that can save, save beyond what we can even imagine. He realized that healing doesn't come from some kind of inner faith that you have. He knew it came from Christ alone. And he knew what was most needed was spiritual healing. In the interview, he says, we lost everything. We were put out. It would be like a family not wanting to be attached to the king or the queen or the royalty and all that came. Knowing all the things that are going on in that ministry, he was outcast. He was told things like this, that God will kill your children. This is where prosperity gospel goes. You have to understand this is why Jesus is going to speak so directly about these false teachers. This is how deadly it becomes. It is not about Christ. It is not about eternity. It's not about knowing the Lord Jesus Christ by a God-given faith that turns you from sin and calls you to repentance. It's not that. It's about mustering up your own strength. But he said through all the death threats and all the difficulties, he began to study. And finally somebody offered him a small position to work with youth. And he took that. And he began to grow. And he went to Bible school and seminary. And he today is a tremendous preacher of God's word. And he holds to it. The Bible tells us in John chapter 19, 38 through 39, that two men buried the Lord Jesus Christ. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. These are both men. One probably... On the Sanhedrin itself. Prominent men. Men that surely, uh, as Josephus tells us that, many of these men were murdered after Christ's resurrection. They could not let their testimonies go. But these men came and asked for the body of Christ. That, that right there was their death nail. And I, and I love that story because, yes, there has always been charlatans in the religious world. We're going to see him today, and we're going to try to understand that a little better so we don't mimic any of those things or fall into those traps. But there's always been charlatans in the religious world. There's always been men and women who will preach a message based on man's own faith and deceive people and take their money and build their own kingdoms. And so when I think about this text, I, as I began to Work through this I thought of those two men Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus right in the middle of this story that we're going on and, and, and boy is Christ going to preach some hard truths that I'm sure did not go over well just two days before his death but in that God rescued two of those men out of that and so we see hope even through disaster and the truth of Christ is greater than lies you have to believe that The truth of Christ is greater than the lies that get spread around. God loves to save. Well, let me give you a few thoughts today as we look through our passage that Mark read for us uh, this morning. Mark chapter 12, verse 38 uh, through 40. The hypocrite in the broad road of destruction. The hypocrite in the broad road of destruction. Both Matthew and Luke um, record this Condemnation of these religious leaders. Uh, you'll recall, and we'll look at this in a minute, that Matthew has the strong discourse. That's where the woe, the woe discourse, we refer to it, where God. Uh, Christ condemns these men. We'll look at that in a minute. But Mark and Luke, they, they choose to uh, just bring out some fragments of that sermon, of that discourse that the Lord Jesus has given just outside of the temple with large crowds gathered around him and all of these religious leaders who have tried to trap him. Mark gives just a fragment of it, but it's enough for us to understand how powerful and revealing this was. And so Christ is going to make it clear that he completely separates himself from this type of religious activity or even religion. He sees them completely different than himself. He sets himself apart from them. This is very important to understand this. He wants nothing to do with them. And you'll see as he tells us his opinion, which is full of truth about these. Look at verse 38 with me. is in his teaching he was saying beware of the scribes so christ here is imparting vital truth here right so he says in his teaching so he's teaching these people you got to remember what's there right these these religious Uh, establishment. The Sanhedrin has sent a group there. The Pharisees are there. The scribes are there. The Sadducees are there. They're all there one after another trying to trap the Lord Jesus Christ. But Christ has been teaching already and there's huge crowds. Passover's happening. There's as much people in Jerusalem as there ever is on any given day of the year. And so Christ, he sees this opportunity, doesn't he? He knows this opportunity. And He's teaching. Matthew and Mark give an indication that he's actually teaching to his disciples. He wants his disciples to hear all this and yet the crowd is listening in. So you can see the word picture as he turns to these, to these 12 men, soon to be 11, um, and, he, and he begins to instruct. So he's talking to them and everybody's listening in and everybody knows who he's talking about. And yet our Lord holds nothing back, does he? I think it's precious that one of the scribes seems to be close to the kingdom of God as we saw last week. But these men who are supposed to be those who interpret the word of God and protect the flock have now turned on the flock and have devoured them. And the Lord has had enough of it. Notice he uses the word or the term beware. Beware of the scribes. See, this is a clear warning. Be on guard. Watch out for evil influences. You know influences, don't you? Moms, dads, we know that, right? We're careful with influences with our children. We know they're easily swayed. They're easily pulled along. He here is charging us right here, the Lord Jesus Christ. Be careful of the charlatans. Be careful of those who who say their one thing and do another. And particularly, be careful of the scribes. These are the men who are supposed to handle the word of God, who are supposed to feed the flock, right? Interpret the truth. See, Christ desires his people to be aware of, of those who will deceive you. He wants you to be aware. I know sometimes we preach on this stuff, and every once in a while, maybe somebody who's visiting a church or is not used to biblical exposition will, will be frustrated with us. Well, you boy, you called out a name of a guy. Well, yeah. Because <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I don't want you to be deceived. We don't want you hanging around with false teachers. And so Christ has a desire to protect his flock here. There are literally people doing the work of the devil's work, masquerading in religiosity. You have to realize that. They they are not calling you into open sin of some of the big level sins that, that... That we might mark. They're calling you into a religious life. There to take your money. To help you feel like you're religious. In order to go to heaven. Their goal is not glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus knows this. And his goal is to expose these men publicly. Notice he starts to give some list of things to maybe know about these men. And what they're doing. And how to see and understand that. After a while, it gets blinding. There's so much of it happening. Sometimes they can't see. So he says, look, they, they walk around in long robes. Notice that in verse uh, 38. They walk around in long robes. Jews had robes that they wore, and on the bottom of those robes, they wore just a little blue tassels that are around the bottom of it. Um, nothing wrong with that. It was actually just a statement of nationalism, right? We're Jews. They were proud to be Jews, you know, you might wear a USA hat somewhere, you know, or, or maybe you're... Parents came from Ireland or somewhere and you, you have an Ireland flag or something. It's just nationalism. There was nothing wrong with that. <laughs> but that's not what the scribes did. Guess what they did with those tassels? They enlarged them. And they made a mega size in order that people would see them, to bring attention to them. He, he mentions their clothing and their posture as a false front and he warns people not to be deceived by it. And more importantly, don't mimic this. Brothers and sisters, I have, to, I have to warn you, don't mimic people. The Bible says we are to be imitators of Christ, not imitators of men. And so often that happens. And today when we look at the prosperity gospel, you've got men wearing 9,000, 10,000 Armani suits. You know, and, and, and they're saying, look, how God has blessed me, and, and people want to mimic that. They fly around in personal jets, and they teach the deception of riches. God, If God wants to give you wealth, he will give you wealth. <laughs> He, he will entrust that. He trusts that with some people. Some he doesn't. Some he lets us live. Just by paycheck to paycheck. He just does that for some of us. And others he entrusts some. That's God's decision. We work hard. We, we, we care for the things that God have We're good stewards of that. But that's not what's being portrayed in the prosperity gospel. It's not what's being portrayed between before the Israelites in this scene. And the temptation is to... To walk and act like them. It goes farther. In our generation, we would, for many generations, I imagine, you, you find people in the religious world who wore pointy hats. <laughs> and they have certain garb and they come in and, and, you know, the hallways are spread for them to walk through it. They have religious dress and religious garb that's put on them, grabbing attention. It's interesting, the Puritans, when they began to preach, particularly in America, and began to establish the church here, a lot of the Puritans wore black gowns as they preached. You know, we look at it and go, man, why does that guy got a gown on? They wore black because they were doing just the opposite of the Roman Catholic Church. (laughs) With all the pointy hats and the shiny stuff and all, hey, you know, the costume outfits. They wore black because they wanted to hide behind the Word of God and not not distract people notice the next thing he says respectful greetings see the word picture is clear these men were walking through the marketplace with robes and tassels drawing attention to themselves they're receiving remarkable greetings people feel as though they'll be blessed if they get to touch these men or be next to these men in some way often as Josephus tells us, that they would often put out their hands for people to kiss them. We still see that in Roman Catholic circles at times. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 23, verse 7 and 9, that you should not be called rabbi. You seek to be called rabbi as a teacher, but you should not. And you should never be called father. There is only one father, chapter 23, verse 9 in Matthew. I remember many times I've been places where I've preached or somebody new to the church um, who is who is grown up in the Roman Catholic world or, or some other religion? Come up and call me father. Like whoa, yeah, I'm a father. There's the kid right there. Um, but beyond that, I'm Scott. That's what my parents named me. <laughs> I'm Scott, and you can call me Scott or Pastor Scott or whatever, but don't call me late to dinner. I, I, I I'm Scott, and I, and that's what our pastors were, we, were Brian's and and. And Rick's and Jerry's and Bobby's. I mean, we're just pastors. We're just, that's our name. We, we don't want that. We want, our, God, our job, we pray for this every week. God, cause our elders to be men who set examples that point people to Jesus Christ. That's our goal. And yet this was not what they wanted. They enjoyed the respectful greetings. They garnished the, 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 the lapped up the, the desire for people to bring fame to them. Notice in verse 39, he talks about the chief seats in the synagogue. Well, these, this refers to benches that were in the synagogue, and they're often, guess where those benches were next to? The treasury. <laughs> and so they sat there. mean, every coin given, they got a percentage of that. Uh, it was important that those cheser trusts would fill up with money, particularly during this time of year when, when so many people, millions of people gather for Passover at Jerusalem that they could gather as much money in as they could. They'd often sit by the scrolls as well. There was benches by the scrolls that were in the synagogues and, and this was to say, look, we are the keeper of the word. We'll tell you what it says. Well, that's still happening Today. Most religions don't want you near the Bible. They don't want you reading it on your own. And we do everything we can to get you to read it on your own. Today we see men sit on stages with gold chairs and phones next to them. Grand entrances and armed guards and security as they come in. These are the chief seats of today. Notice places of honor at banquets. These were reclining couches. They were reserved for the most honored guests at a meal and particularly at the feast, the Jewish feast that they celebrated. And scribes loved to take these seats. They would actually clamor over it and some of the problems they had with each other was who gets those seats and they would fight even among themselves who could have those seats of honor. This is why we always tell you give your seat up here if somebody wants it. Sit somewhere new, don't fight over it. Best seats are down here. But everybody wants to sit back there. I don't know. I don't know how you guys work that out. We, we, you know, give your seat up. These men fought over these things. You know, it's so difficult. This is why they, they could not stand the Lord Jesus Christ because when he shows up in his ministry, guess whose house he's going to? Zacchaeus. The tax collectors. Prostitutes gathering with the Lord Jesus Christ. Drove them crazy. How can you sit And eat with these people. Their minds were polluted with power. Polluted with authority. Desiring to rule and have fame and money. And Jesus knows every one of their hearts. Verse 40 is particularly important. Notice the first phrase. Who devour widows' houses. Mm -mm. This is what he's going to show, isn't he? Jesus now dramatically uncovers the picture of the bottom of their greed and sinful practices. He points out that their goal is to take houses from those who do not have much. In fact, in many cases, they don't have much because they took it from them. They gained the confidence of rich widows. They would go in and steal their houses through some legal form and spiritual pressure. Scribes were known to be consultants. Remember, they were called lawyers. or supposed to be those who taught the law, but they became actual lawyers in the fact that they would take from these women their homes. They would convince them that they would be more godly and God would give them more. And if they gave their homes up, there was no husband to protect them. They would prey on them. They would take the very livelihood that they would have from them. And so Jesus knew they were taking advantage of these lonely, um, often susceptible women and convinced them to give them monies and properties. The scribes would call it holy work. Give to our holy work. Isn't this happening today? How many people have prayer shawls and, and water from the Jordan River where Jesus was baptized? Blankets and kneeling, on and on and on. Jim Baker just got in trouble again this week. Um, as he's trying to sell some product to help you from the coronavirus that God led him to or something. So he goes on and on. Paul warns Timothy in his last letter before his death, chapter, uh, chapter three of 2 Timothy 6 and 7, he says, for among them there are those who enter in the household of captive weak women weighed down with sin, led, with, led by various impulses. It, it, it's still happening. And we see this in today's world as well, notice the verse goes on in 40 to say that they, they have the appearance for the sake of long prayers. For the appearance of the sake of long prayers, they devour these widows' houses, and then for, the, for appearance' sake, they, they offer up these these extremely long prayers. He, he, he adds this charge on top of this hypocrisy that's already been now exposed. And don't, don't forget the scene here, guys. There's all these people there. They're, they're right. He's on their home court. And he's telling these things. Look, they would hide their idolatrous, covetous behavior behind these lofty, fake prayers. And not only were their prayers hypocritical, but they were long in order to impress. Wearing people out, using terms that people didn't understand. And Jesus exposes that their prayers were disguised for for the hidden motives. To make you think that they are holier than you so they can take from you in, in order to be wealthy. Matthew 6 in the great sermon of the mount verse 5 through 7 Jesus says this when you pray you are not to be like the hypocrites they didn't like him from the beginning of his ministry did they for they love to stand in the, and pray in the synagogues that's right here isn't it on the corners of the street so that they may be seen by men truly I say they have their reward in full as much as much oh, that was a really good prayer that's, Jesus said that's your reward but he's not done with them But you, and then he turns to the crowd, when you pray, go into your inner room, go into your closet, it might translate that way. Close your door and pray to your father who who is in secret, that your father who will see what you've done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use, listen to this, meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they supposed that they would be heard because of their many words. Today we have flowing prayers of a language that is f- uh, foreign to most people when you hear these men pray. You have prayer languages that nobody understands that are just meant to puff one up and to help people give to them in some way as though they have some in touch, they're in touch with God in some greater way. Long prayers that bring attention to knowledge and so Often people will pray in such a way that you can say, well, he must have went to seminary. But he didn't glorify God. See, false worship. And often no worship is in prayer. And Jesus knew it. Pray one thing. God, you are worthy of our adoration. You're worthy of our praise. If that's all you can pray, if all you can think about is the greatness of God, just pray that alone. And yet, even in that, men have showed that they were not of God. Second thought, God strictly judges and strongly condemns false teachers. God strictly judges and strongly condemns false teachers. Look at the rest of verse 40 with me. This last little phrase here is such important. This is Jesus. He's in their home court, right? They're standing right there. These will receive greater condemnation. I wonder if this maybe was the breaking point of Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. The Bible says there were, there were many religious leaders who believed in Jesus but were afraid to come out. They probably got saved um, maybe in, in Acts chapter 2 of the birth of the church or somewhere in that time. Josephus reminds us that many of them were murdered. But it's an interesting saying right here at the end. I mean, can you imagine these guys hearing this? This, These will receive a greater condemnation. So those expecting reward for the long tassels and the long prayers and, and, and the seats of prominence and all of that, expecting that they were going to have reward, Jesus says, you're going to get just the opposite. You're going to get condemnation. See, their self-righteousness had blinded them. Oh, and it'll blind us, brother and sister. You got to know that, right? Once, once we get puffed up of something we know, or 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 maybe we got to teach a class, or we or and we didn't we didn't give God the credit for something. Oh, we'll get blinded so quickly. These men were blind guides. D- don't forget this: as Jesus cleansed the temple just days before this, right? This is probably Wednesday. This is probably the cleansing of the temple happened maybe the day before, if not two days before that. Remember what he calls what they did to his father's house of prayer? What did he call it? A den of thieves. A den of robbers. I mean, he's on this, isn't it? They're not fooling him. And think, they've had the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one who's going to lay his life down in just a matter of days for those who will put their faith in him. He's right in their presence, and they want to crush him. Hebrews speaks about these type of men. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29. How much more severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled under the foot of the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace. Look, there's a long line of men and they still keep coming. They just keep coming. Bethel School of Ministry in our hometown, where Gina and I were raised and married, is, a, is, is a, a radical ministry. Training men and women about healing. And when you stop and try to talk to them about the gospel, and you have, what's the most important thing you could give a dying person? They will stand there and argue with you that we should heal them. Nothing about the gospel. And they deceive they have gold dust that falls from the ceiling and they work people into a frenzy. People are moving from all over the world there and, and if, if they're not able to speak in tongues and do all the wild things, they, they set them aside and these people become destitute. It's destroyed our hometown in many ways. But Jesus sees through this. Look at Matthew chapter 23. I just want to highlight a couple of verses in here. I want you to understand what's happening here the Lord Jesus is not, this, this is a short, and Mark shows the short discourse, but Matthew 23 is what he's, all of what he's saying. you got to see this text. I mean, it's no wonder, they, if, they had to control themselves right there from not killing him on the spot when he's done with them. Verse 4, we'll start there. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's, of sh- uh, men's shoulders. Do this, do that, don't eat this, don't go there, don't be seen with these people. But they themselves, unwilling to move them with, with so much of a finger that do not uh, but they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. This is all part of this discourse that we're reading in Mark. For they broaden their flackeries and lengthen their tackles on their uh, tassels on their garments. They love the place of honor and banquets and chief seats. You can see some of this sprinkled in that mark, the respectful greetings in the marketplace, being called rabbi, my men. They love that. Oh! Let me keep going. <laughs> but do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. And then verse 9, notice this. And and they they were actually, you think Catholic Church came up with this? This has been around for a long time. Look at verse 9. Do not call anyone on earth your father. For one is your father who is in heaven. And in verse 10. Do not be called leaders. For one is your leader. That is Christ. As a a teaching pastor, we we change that title based on, how I function with the rest of the pastors. I don't, I don't like the lead, term lead pastor. I don't like senior pastor. I don't like any of those things. I, I, it's not who I am. I share a ministry with a group of men that we pastor, elder, oversee the church together. And, and Jesus warns of that. Why? Because it goes to your head. I remember being a young guy and getting in the ministry and watching the great preachers and wanting to be like them. Well, well what's wrong with that? Wanting to be like them, not Christ. It's a draw. It pulls on young men. They like people saying, man, that was the best sermon. They like that feeling. It appeals to your flesh. Jesus here is teaching his disciples. Remember, they're sitting right there. They're going to be the ones who are going to preach the sermons. The church is going to be birthed under these men. He wants them to see this. Verse 12 is so important. Verse 11, uh, but the greatest among you shall be a servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. This is just opposite of what he was dealing with. And then you get into these woes. There's 8, 9, and 14 is a verse that's been dropped in um, that sums up Luke and Mark's teaching. But you'll notice verse 13 Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, because you shut the kingdom off. What does that mean? That means you teach people the wrong door to God. You don't teach them there is one way to God. You teach, you teach these other doors that lead them to hell. Verse 14 sums up the passage in Mark and Luke. Verse 15, woe you scribes and Pharisee, because you find a proselyte and you make them twice the son of hell as yourselves. Well, What does that mean? That means you, you tap into his pride and you tell him the things that you've done and you lead him along and then he takes it to a whole another level. So pretty soon we went from, oh, well, God's given me a message to a Toronto blessing of people barking in the spirit. There's even been people who said they've vomited in the spirit. You go, well, how, well, how does that get there? Feed man, feed his pride. It's unbelievable what will come up. So Jesus is giving these woes. Verse 16, woe, you blind guides. And here he gets into this whole thing by what you swear by. They swear by gold. Because you're, you're consumed with money. And he exposes that down through all the way down through 22, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. You, 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 you separate mint and dill. I remember as a boy reading this, I thought maybe they you know, gave some dill pickles out of the jar to God. I didn't know what that meant. But then I started figuring out what dill was. It's really a teeny. You know, can you imagine, you know, we're going to get a tenth of a mint, dried mint, crushed leaves. I, I look like a tenth, but yeah, okay. Work very, very hard to do that. And then take the widow's money. He says, look, you don't care about justice and mercy. Notice in the middle of verse 23, you don't care about justice and mercy and faithfulness. You neglect all these things just to get your dill and your mint and just get, that, just get out just enough so you can give that to the Lord and say, hey, look what I've done. He calls them blind guides over and over. Verse 25, what are you, scribes and Pharisees? You clean the outside of the cup. Isn't that a vivid statement? You walk into somebody's house and they give you a dirty cup and you kind of look and they're like, they go, well, the outside's clean. Go ahead. <laughs> What would you do with that? And that's, what, that's just the teaching. You dress right. You say the right things. You, you show up on time. You, you got it all together out here. But in the inside, it's dead and dirty, right? He goes on. The next one is to say that you're like whitewashed tombs in verse 27, well, uh, Gina and I love going to old um, cemeteries. We love to walk around and just look at tombs and see when people were born and when they died. And some of them are very ornate, right? They're, they're beautiful. And you look at these great heads. So, but you know what's in there? Dead people! <laughs> and the bugs ate them and the worms ate them. And Jesus says, you, you're like these monument, these ornate tombstones. You look great and all this great stuff. Oh, he's a great dad. He was a great scribe. He was great, all this stuff. Inside, he's just dead. Dead. I'm afraid, I'm afraid how many Christians are in the church who know how to dress, know how to talk, and yet there's just dead bones inside. And this was the leadership. It goes on in verse 29. Whoa, you scribes and Pharisees. You adorn these monuments. Now oh, back to these tombs again. Here, here's all this outward look at these things. Verse 31, so you testify against yourself. I mean, look, what is he saying there? You're about to kill me. <laughs> you've got everything out here all right. You've got your tassels and you're, you're flowing through the marketplaces and you've got these long prayers and, and, and you're, you're robbing widows and you're doing all this stuff, but you're acting like you are the way to God. And you're 48 hours away from killing me. Boy, Jesus looks into the heart, doesn't he? Verse 32 fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers. Verse 33 (laughs) this is right before he's going to go do the widow thing, right? You serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, 11 through 15, I don't have time to get there, but what a passage, this great white throne judgment there. Two times in that passage, Jesus says, the word of God says that when, when the books are opened, all those who will fall under the judgment of God. I want to clarify this. If you are saved, uh, Brian Giaquinto read this morning from Romans 8, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are if not in Christ, that, that passage, Revelations 20, 11 through 15, applies to you. He says, I saw the great and the small, the Pharisee and the widow." who were dead, did not know God. Not particularly this, what I'm talking about. I'm just showing you the difference. The great and the small. The, uh, the millionaire and the pauper. You know, the billionaire and the drunk. Um, I saw them all come before. And the books were opened. And the Bible says that text twice. He judged them according to their deeds. And this isn't some Catholic teaching of hell in any way. But it tells you that there are hotter spots in hell for those who deceive And that's what Jesus is pointing out. And then, remarkably, as you turn back to our text, he comes to the widow. Third thought. A case of beauty and deception. A case of beauty and deception. This beautiful narrative is also recorded in Luke chapter 21. But the story provides a clear contrast. What he's doing, Jesus is going to tr- provide a clear contrast between the scribe and this, this widow, between these religious leaders and this, this widow here. And so Jesus says, he's just condemned these religious leaders. You just heard, I, I just read you a portion of Matthew 23. You have to read it all to realize how intense that message would have been. You want to talk about sweating as he preached, that must have been incredible. So now, now his goal is to show physically the difference. He's going to show a contrast between, between their spiritual uh, poverty, their spiritual poverty, and her material poverty. So he's going to use this to teach his disciples. Look at verse forty-one with me. And he sat down opposite the treasury and he began observing, and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. And so here Jesus takes up a seat in this treasury. This is unique to Mark. Only Mark says that he sat down and he began to do this observation, right? So he's now finished this teaching he probably was in the court of the Gentiles outside of, uh, outside of the temple proper. He's chosen one of the nine gates to enter into the court of women uh, to move into the temple. Remember, it's, it's Passover. There's hundreds and thousands of people there all coming to give their offerings at this time of the year. And, and he comes into this uh, court of the women. And, and that just means that's where the women could come in. Anybody could come in there that was Jewish. And that's where the treasury was. So he now moves his disciples into this. He has the 12 still with him. And here inside this court of women is 13 receptacles um, uh, where they receive offerings. And, and, and these receptacles, they all fed into this treasury, which is called shofar. Uh, this was, you've heard of this, uh, a box that the money would make its work way into. These, these receptacles were all in the shape of trumpets. And they were made of brass, and where you could really hear money fall into them. And so, as the money was thrown into these trumpet shaped receptacles, they would clank their way down and fall into the treasury box. Within these 13 receptacles, thir- six of them had the phrase free will offering on it. So what this means is they would give in these other ones because that was a tenth of something and and they and they would give in these other receptacles and then they would turn to free will offering because they wanted to show that they were given up and beyond and they would turn to that and give more. And by the way, if you want to go look at the Old Testament of how much to give, it's somewhere around 33%. And your firstborn. And all the firstborn flock that you have. Your dog, your cat. It's a lot. So here you can see the scene. Jesus has now moved in there. And all these people that are there for Passover are giving their alms and their tithes and their free will offerings. The, the, the coins falling into the receptacle are making noise. And Mark records at the scene um, as Jesus is observing them putting in there. And, and, and then he says, notice, notice the word how there. It says in in um, Verse 41. Observing how the people were putting money in. I think that's interesting. Our Savior's noticing not merely the fact of how much they're putting in and and what's going in, but how they're doing it. There's, There's something unique about what they're doing. The teaching of living outwardly has now affected. Not for a minute, don't think, that the people that were coming in who were giving large sums were not also dressed much like their leader's. And he's looking at this. And he has the ability to look at the actions of the heart, not just the outside. Phrase says, many rich people were putting in large sums. Copper coins in this day were the least valuable. And they had very little copper in them as time went on, much like our penny does. Um, but most likely the rich people were putting in silver, and that would be your denarius, that would be uh, a day's wage, right? So they're putting in a much heavier coin, and 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 the way it was set up is you can hear the differences of them, right? People that handle money can tell the difference of the feel, and they can hear the difference of coins, can't they? So their offerings were accentuated by the noise that was going into the treasury, and so Jesus is noticing how they're giving. And these effects of these leaders that Jesus has mentioned in verse 38 through 40 is on full display. Doubtlessly, there's people coming in with their bags of money. With, uh, it's, it's become now a popular show thing to do. Someone once said that the, greater, the greatest form of flattery is someone who strives to act like you. And this is happening, and Jesus is watching how they're given. Notice verse 42. A poor woman came and put two, copper, small, uh, two small copper coins, which amounted to a cent. Well, in the middle of this scene that's being described, here comes this woman. And there's no doubt you can see the difference in her, right? She walks in. She's clearly different. She's not dressed. She does not have the money to dress the way the others do. She certainly isn't carrying Loads of money. There's something different about her. Our all-knowing Savior knew she was coming. He has set this up so he brought his disciples to this place so they could observe this act of worship, both false and most true. Notice he calls her a poor widow. A poor widow came. It's a vivid uh, identification of this woman. It's in great contrast to the same people who are wealthy in the, in the room. Greek gives the idea that it's one woman and she's in poverty. And it doesn't just speak of like a peasant. One who just has a very small amount of income coming in. It speaks of a woman who is financially destitute. She has nothing. The Bible says that she put two small copper coins in. These copper coins were often referred to as a mite. Le, le, leptos is the, is the Greek word. It, it means thin small and light, right? Our pennies. You ever notice our new pennies are super light? These are super light coins. They don't have much to them. So when you drop them in, they don't make the noise of a denarius, right? So they're small coins. They only have about a quarter. They're made up of about a quarter of them as copper. The rest is just um, tins and different uh, lesser um, metals. So, I did some math as I worked through some of this trying to figure out what this was. Matthew chapter 20 verse 2 says that uh, a denarius was the average wage of a, a laborer. So if you worked in the fields or the vineyards, the average day wage was a denarius. That was what you would receive from that. And so doing a little bit of math, I, I, I looked at some census at the end of 2019, the average weekly wage that Americans made, this was across all Americans, was $936 a week. That's what the average made at the end of 2019. You may be below that. You may be above it. Um, You figure this out. If you take one day of that, she put in $2.07 today. $2.07. And remember, that's not what she made a day, that's everything she had, the Bible tells us. She put all that in, $2.07 today. Now, you have to understand, the, rule, the rabbinical law that they had written said you can't give anything less than two mites. So she barely made. So to come in with less than that, if you were going to give one, they would reject your offering. <laughs> that means they're watching. So she, she, all she has left is just to make the minimum that the rabbinical crew that's watching over the treasury would even love you give. That's where she's at. Look at verse 43. Jesus calling his disciples to him, And and maybe he had brought them in and they kind of maybe wandered off and and possibly they got enamored with some of the wealth that was in the room and they're they're looking around at what's going on. But look, Jesus is in full shepherd mode. Time is short. The cross is approaching. These are important lessons he wants them to know. So he calls them to himself because he does not want this carried into his church. I think that's so poignant. He wants them to see this. Because these men are going to preach... And the church is going to be birthed under their preaching. The imagery is clear as Jesus directs his disciples' attentions to this poor woman who is now most likely probably just about ready to leave the court. She probably did not hang around. And then he says "As Truly I say to you, he's talking to his disciples, this poor woman put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. So here's our perfect Savior speaking perfect truth about this situation. He's contrasting this poverty-stricken condition of this woman with those who had been clearly blessed, right? Uh, the syntax gives you this idea that Jesus is doing this while it's all taking place. It's all oh, this, this noise of this money's falling in, and here comes this widow who doubtlessly just slips in, unobtrusive, quiet in her possibly dirty outfit or whatever she would have because she has nothing else. And he's, he's noting all of this. And, and then he, he uses this phrase, put in more. Now this does not deny, I think it's real important to deny that, that Jesus didn't care for those who gave a greater gift. And, and listen, what a blessing for us to give more than $2.07 you know, when we show up. I, I Praise God, he's blessed us and we have cars and homes and all those things. And, and we are able to be a steward of the things God lets us entrust and we can give. But, but what Jesus is trying to do here is to insist that she gave more. She gave more. In fact, the original language has the idea that she actually gave more than all of them put together. That's the idea. Look at verse 44. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty put in all she owed and all she had to live on. The Bible says she gave out of all she had see the others gave out of their abundance they gave out of their excess I, I don't think God is condemning that because you and I do that right we give out of a portion but I think the, I think there's a good point here as you think about this one of the good habits to have is when we uh, pray and, and honor God with our gift that probably should come out of first of what we do I, I think the habit for, for many in the Christian church is, is you pay all your bills, you do all that, and if you have something left, then maybe you'll give something out of that. And I think this widow is just this woman who uh, doubtlessly she was probably deceived. She, she probably had, maybe, maybe she's one of the women that they were talking, he was talking about earlier, there were these guys come in and take their houses and their homes and everything. They come in and play religious lawyer and take their money. That's a very good chance this is her. In fact, I would probably submit to you that's my interpretation of this. She's the result of these wicked men. And maybe, maybe she's giving out of the wrong reason. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But I tend to think she just loves God and she's given. So I think what verse 44 is doing here is trying to help us understand that they gave out of abundance, they gave out of excess. But she gave all she had. And, and it's interesting because Jesus is watching and he's taking note. He's no, noting the hearts of people. He knows the hearts of people. And, and he, he notes that they gave out his actions. But then he notes her. He says, but she. see, so he shifts attention to her. And that's what's interesting. That's what's so different about it. When you're in a room of wealthy people, say you go and you're, I don't know where you would go. You'd be somewhere where there's tremendous wealth there. Well, all the tension would be on the wealth, wouldn't they? Did you see what they drove up in? Did you see what she's wearing? I wonder what that watch he has on cost. see, that's a typical, that's how people think, right? Not Jesus, not Jesus. (laughs) He sees this woman. Because remember, he's not talking that wealth is bad in any way. He just looks at the heart. He looks at our hearts. He knows our hearts of all of us that are in here. And unfortunately, we in this fallen world sometimes let the natural men take the lead. And Jesus is saying, no, no. I, I, look at the, I look at the heart. And so Jesus reminded us over and over. He did not come to save the wealthy, but the poor, the righteous. Not the righteous, but the unrighteous. And so you can see what he's after. And then final thought, just some gave all. Oh, I want to just close with this and this. Passage, But she, out of her poverty, the Bible says, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. I think often this passage is used to motivate people to give, and I'm not doing that at all. Please don't take it that way. It, it's, it's showing us how disturbed and how, how the church in so many places have moved away from the central theme of glorifying Christ. And I think he uses this woman. To show. Who she is. and her love for God. I, I would believe that she loves the Lord. And would give. And, and, and think about her. She, there's no one in the room. Who gave more than she gave. Proportionally. There was no one who gave more. She gave all she had. She gave all her living. She gave all her subsistence. Think about this. In order for her to live, she would not eat again till she would make enough money. According to that Bible, she says she gave all, she, all that she had to live on. She, so she was not going to eat. Only the Lord knows if this woman died after this or what happened to her. And, and so the text is trying to teach us this is what false teaching does in one avenue. It, it takes people and, and teaches them to, to do things that God is not asking them to do. That could be the case. But on the other end, we see the beauty. That's why I call this is both the beauty and deceptiveness of this passage. On the, on the other end, here is this woman who is coming. She's giving all she has to the Lord. So, I think there's a, an important point here. And one of the points is that this woman gave all. And the Lord Jesus Christ does the same. Think about this. Jesus, two days from this point, is going to give all. This is how I want to tie this together and just close in this. Jesus is going to give all. He stepped out of heaven, left, left the treasures of heaven and took on flesh, walked on this earth. He gave all. And What a connection. I, I had not really thought about that until I studied this passage. That's why I don't think this is a passage so much on giving. I think she's an example of what he's about to do. See that woman right there? I'm about ready to do the same thing. And he gives all so you and I would be saved. For Christ also died for sins for all. The just for the unjust. So that he might bring us to God. 1 Peter 3.18 says. So he might bring us to God. He gave all. And so this widow is a connection to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So today I... I encourage you to take what God has given you and use it for him. This is not a a sermon on giving. It's a sermon that reminds us of the deception of selfish, self-desired people who want to elevate themselves over what God's plan is. And in the middle of that, here are people who can still walk with God. And I pray that God will encourage you to search your heart and say, Lord, am I, am I handling your stuff well? Right? Because the Bible teaches that we are stewards of his stuff. We will one day give an account of what we've done with his things. Not judgment for sin, but what did we do with it? And so in the end, you have this woman, whether she was deceived by these, these wealthy religious people to, to give everything and die... For she was there with a pure heart. The Lord recognizes her. It says, see that woman. See that woman. She gave all. Father, thank you for the reminders of these truths. We can hardly get our minds around the scene that is there. These men hated the Lord Jesus Christ. They hated him. They wanted him dead in the next 48 hours. They're going to accomplish that. Only by you allowing that to happen. And yet Jesus boldly calls out the misuse of God's word. The misuse of leadership. He does not want the disciples to be a part of this. He does not want his church that he will die for, spill his blood for, that he'll purchase the church with. He does not want the church abused by those who prey on it. So Lord, I pray that you would cause us not to abuse what you have done, first of all. I pray that you would help us recognize those who would come in and would be wolves in sheep clothing trying to take from even our own widows or anyone. But also, Lord, we, we don't want to miss the beauty of this woman. She loved you, apparently. It seems she does at some level. Whether she, how it deceives you or not, we do not know. But she seems to give to you, because that's the treasury, give to you all that she has. Lord, there's some in this room who are really struggling. They're struggling financially, they're struggling with health, they're struggling with big, big decisions. Lord, I pray you would encourage them today to trust you. Step out and, and walk by faith, Lord. It might be just trusting you in, in an issue that they're wrestling with in a relationship or some, something that's going on, Lord. I, I just pray that this story would motivate them to trust you. Lord, we all get so caught up in walking by sight and not by faith. And Lord, I pray today that we would be men, women, boys and girls who said, Lord, I believe in you. And I want to walk with you. Give me the faith to do that. So Lord, strengthen us today for that. In Jesus' name, amen.